Well, it was a great day in the little village of Bethany when Jesus and his disciples walked through and came up to Martha, Mary, and Lazarus' house and knocked on the door, so to speak, and said, hey, we're coming through. Can I spend some time with you guys? Well, Martha, she was ecstatic. Can you spend time? Please stay for dinner. And so off she went, scurrying hither and yon, out in the courtyard, getting the fire, getting the servants, making sure she had just the right meal because she knew Jesus wasn't just any man. She knew he was the promised Savior, the Son of God. And it had been a long time, like never, that she'd ever entertained the Son of God in her house. So she is laser-focused on making this a great, great meal. And so you can just see her just flying around. She's this good firstborn, right? And she's an achiever, maybe an overachiever. And so she's got it going. She's got the menu in her mind. She's communicated to the servants. And off she's going in preparation. And she's wondering, at what time is my sister going to say, hey, Martha, can I give you a hand? Because Mary was really kind to greet Jesus and just sit at his feet there in the living room. And she's been listening all the while that Martha has been bustling with activity. She's just waiting. She's going to say at any moment, can I give you a hand? But it doesn't happen. So she figures, well, she's just kind of lost track of what's going on. And so she'll kind of make a little racket in the kitchen, so to speak, to get her attention. And there are some sighs and some groans and some grunts and it wasn't working. And so there's some clatter of the pans and it wasn't working. So finally, in frustration, I mean, if we could see it, it just was kind of like, Boom, and just let the clay dish just spatter on the floor. She's going, that's gonna for sure work. It didn't. There's no movement. Jesus doesn't notice it. There's no stopping in the conversation. Nobody said, hey, Martha, are you okay? Do you need a hand? And so at this point, she is incensed. And so she barges into the living room and she says, Jesus, she says, Jesus, don't you know that Mary should be helping me like she's abandoned me in the kitchen? And would you please tell her to come and help me? And to her chagrin, Jesus doesn't acquiesce. He doesn't say, you're right. In fact, you know what? We'll both come. We'll both come. Now, actually, he kind of brings her into the classroom, so to speak. And he says, oh, Martha, dear Martha, you are worried about so many things. And you are upset about so many things. You know, in the many things of life, there are only a few that are necessary. Actually, there's only one. And your sister Mary, she's chosen the better way. Now, if you're a Martha, that's me, type A, driven, we love our lists. People can't keep up with us in conversation, activity, even walking. We hate lines. Uh, this is a hard teaching. Like Jesus, don't you know it's those of us in this world that have like brought this world into its very place of, of enjoyment and getting things done. And we, we hear Jesus, we think, man, I think he's got something against us type A's. And we're, we're already a little defensive here. And uh, what we want to say to the Marys of our life 
is, you know what? Start carrying your own weight. Buck up. Get to work. There's work to be done. What are you sitting around? There's work to be done. And then there's a whole group of us that aren't Marthas, and we're not type A's, and we go, I love this story. I love that Mary's not driven by guilt, and that's me, and she can get to that quiet, happy place. And um, the Marthas of this world just need to chillax, and they need to get rid of the stink eye and the snarky face and just chill. We go, I love that. So here's the good news. Jesus doesn't have a word for personality types today. He has a good word for those of us who are or who desire, who are considering being a follower of Jesus. And what Jesus wants to say to me and to you and to us is a very simple truth that's very profound. Don't confuse activity for God with a relationship with God. Don't confuse that. In the preceding paragraph, it's the story of the Good Samaritan where Jesus says, don't confuse your allegiance and devotion for God with just a title, like you're a priest or you're a Levite or people look at you and say, that is a really religious person because of all these things they do for God. Don't confuse that with um, a life of faith where you actually care about people in your life that are in need, like that man who was beaten up on the road down to Jericho. And so this is a good word for us. For some of us, we're just so busy. And the words distracted and worried and upset, maybe bitter, growing resentment is just kind of marking our life. There's a whole bunch of us that feel guilty when we what? Relax. You feel guilty about that. I should be doing something. And that works into our relationship with God, and that works into our other relationships as well. This is a good word, not just for type A Marthas, who's probably the firstborn in the family, but for all of us. So grab your Bible, and let's catch up with the story, and let's learn what God has for us in this story. And it's going to be a good word for all of us. So we pick up the story in Luke's Gospel. It's chapter 10, verse 38. So if you're new to the Bible... Um, we're towards the back of our Bible, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John. So after Mark, before John, you can find it in the table of contents. You may have it up on your smartphone, your tablet. This story takes place in this little village called Bethany. It's right above the Mount of Olives where Jesus would go away and pray right before he was uh, crucified, right? It's a place that he went all the time. So it's above that. It's a village little tiny village. It was known for the olive groves up there and very likely that that might have even been the occupation of this family that as we learn more about them, they probably were a pretty wealthy family. Okay, so we pick it up in verse 38. As Jesus and his disciples were on their way, he came to a village where a woman named Martha opened her home. And on his way, Chapter 9, verse 51 was, Jesus is heading from the north, Galilee, and he's going to Jerusalem where he's going to spend the last days and he's going to die there, okay? It's on that way he comes to Bethany and Martha's home. She had a sister called Mary who sat at the Lord's feet listening to what he said. 
But Martha was distracted. That's keyword, keyword. Circle it, underline it. She was distracted by what? By all the preparations that had to be made. She came to him, Jesus, and asked, Lord, don't you care that my sister has, been, has left me to do the work by myself? Tell her to help me. Martha, Martha, the Lord answered, you are worried and upset about many things, but few things are needed, or indeed only one. Mary has chosen what is better, and it will not be taken from her. So let's look at Martha here, and let's just remind ourselves that she's, she's actually a good woman. She's doing good work. There's nothing wrong with what she's doing. She's preparing a meal for Jesus. This is a good thing. She's distracted. We'll talk about that in a minute. We know from the other sections of Scripture, like uh, John chapter 11, that she's a godly woman, and she's, she's got a life that's marked by faith. She understands who Jesus is and what he's capable of doing. In John chapter 11, it's the story of Jesus raising Martha's brother Lazarus from the dead, and he got sick, and Martha and Mary sent for Jesus to come and to heal him, and he delays on purpose for the greater miracle of raising him from the dead. And so we catch up the story in John eleven twenty one, 21, and Martha says this, Lord, Martha said to Jesus, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. But I know that even now God will give you whatever you ask. Jesus said to her, your brother will rise again. Martha answered, I know he'll rise again in the resurrection at the last day. Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. The one who believes in me will live even though they die. And whoever lives by believing in me will never die. Do you believe this? Yes, Lord, she replied. I believe that you are the Messiah, the Son of God, who is to come into the world. So before we throw Martha onto the bus and go, yeah, she was really messed up. She was not only distracted, she wasn't a woman of faith and she was doing all the wrong things. No, she was doing good things. But she was distracted in the midst of doing good things for God. So here she is preparing dinner for Jesus and in the midst of the preparations that she's doing for Jesus, she's completely distracted from, disconnected to Jesus. In fact, she's worse. She's like mad. She's mad at Jesus. Jesus. He, she says, don't you know what's going on here? Why didn't you get my sister to help me? And why don't you tell her now to make up for lost time? She's upset. She's distracted. That's a good word, distracted, to come to grips with. Because distracted is not just losing your focus, where you have been distracted, like the person who says, man, all of a sudden I was driving down the highway, and there's like a bee in the car. And then we kind of know, oh, this isn't going to go well. This is a bad story, because we know what can happen. Is all of a sudden you become focused on the bee, and you're not focused on the road, and things happen, Right? So we kind of have that understanding of distractedness, right? Unaware of our surroundings or our actions. But there's another side. And actually Webster's first definition of distracted starts with this. Feeling overwhelming fear or worry 
That, that, that is not my understanding of distraction. But that's exactly what Luke is telling us was going on in her distraction. Yep, she's lost her focus. She's unaware of her actions. She's, she's lost connection to Christ. But one of the reasons she is, is not just because she's got all this preparations here, but she's full of worry, right? And so overwhelming fear or worry. Synonyms, agitated, that sounds like Martha. Delirious, we're not sure. Frantic, oh yeah, that sounds like Martha. Distraught, oh yeah. Frenzied, hysterical, maybe not hysterical, but she's getting there. The antonyms are, and this is like Mary, when you hear the opposite of distracted, calm, yeah, that's Mary. Peaceful, that's Mary. Serene, tranquil, we might add the word content. So she's distracted by what? Good things. Things she's doing for God. She's distracted from God. Ah, that's good. Because it's easy for us to think, because I'm doing stuff for God, I must be good with God. And we can confuse activity for a relationship. She's doing good things for God. She's distracted by the things she's doing for God. So there's really good lessons there, right? So I, I could actually be doing things for God and be distracted by the things I'm doing for God, which seems weird, but of course. So when we hear stories about religious leaders who, um, like, their life blows up. There's this huge moral failure. Maybe we hear that there's been a double life all this time. We go, what? What is going on? Well, they were doing things for God, and God in his amazing providence will actually use even some of those people that are totally messed up in the interior of their life for good in other people's lives. But, the, but what happened is they were doing things for God, but their life was disconnected from God. She is distracted by the preparations, but let's be clear, the key distraction was she was disconnected. She was distracted from Jesus, not just by something, from something. And we want to talk about that. Because we could actually be doing things for God and the things we're doing for God is distracting us from the God that we love and supposedly are serving and doing this for. She was distracted by the preparations from Jesus. So Martha has moved from hospitality to entertainment. Do you know the difference? There's a difference. When we're exercising the gift of hospitality, the, the main thing is the guest or the guests. When we're into entertainment, the main thing is the host. She slipped into entertainment mode. And the Bible says in 1 Peter 4 that those with the gift of hospitality need to be careful that they don't let their gift of hospitality lead them to a place of grumbling. It reminds us a little bit about the mercy gift. And Romans 12 will give a warning that there's a backside, there's a shadow to the gift of leadership that you get lazy, of mercy that you become kind of a grouch and, and a grumbler, 
of, of exercising hospitality and you do the same kind of thing because you're giving to others and you're wondering, is it, is, is, isn't there another Mary in the house that can kind of share the love here and help out and start chopping some onions or whatever because there's work to be done and we become bitter. Entertainment leads to bitterness because our self has become the focus that people go, wow, what a beautiful house. Wow, I've never had a better meal. And it's twisted where it started like, well, I just want to do this for them. And then all of a sudden we realize, ah, we can do good things for other people and all of a sudden have it really be about me. That's where she's going. And so Jesus is so kind. He is so kind because he comes with gentleness. Remember last week when we were looking at uh, Matthew chapter 11 and Jesus says, come unto me, all you who are weary and worn out, and I'll give you rest, rest for your soul. Take my yoke upon you and learn of me and learn that I am gentle and humble of heart, and I'll give you rest for your souls. So we, we come into this passage here, this, this situation that happened in Martha's home, and we see the gentleness. So for some of us, we just don't see God as gentle. It's always harsh. He's always got a billy club in his hand. He's always whacking us. And so we, we could read Martha, Martha, and in our mind, we're hearing it like, Martha, Martha. It wasn't, it wasn't that. It was Martha, dear Martha, sweet Martha. You are so caught up and worried and upset about so many things, and I just want to free you from that and get you to a better place and following a better way. Jesus is so gentle with Martha, so gentle. And we note that Jesus doesn't acquiesce and say, you're right, what were we thinking? We'll come in and help you. You're right, what was Mary thinking? He doesn't say, Mary, you know what to do. No, he, he moves towards Martha and helps her see what's going on here, her distraction and the better way. So his point here is not, and it's really important, his point here is not to say, what you were doing, Martha, was bad. I'm going to give you a do-over. So what I want you to do is go back in the kitchen, hang up your apron, Wash your hands and just come sit at my feet. Because what you were doing in that kitchen, that was bad. You need to do what Mary's doing, which is sitting at my feet. And you need to distrust that, you know, I could do the little boy's lunch thing again, or I could order in pizza. And so he's not saying that. And it's really important that we understand what Jesus is not saying here. He's not addressing her action. He's addressing the distraction. He's addressing the worry and this growing resentment and bitterness that's described by the word. She's upset about many things. Oh, yeah, she was. She's ticked at Mary. She's ticked at Jesus, the one she's serving dinner to. And so it's really important that we understand what he is not saying here. He's not saying, hey, it is impossible for you to do work for me and have a relationship with me at the same time. And so stop working and just for the rest of your life, would you just relax and just be? 
Why do we know that? Well, because at the beginning of this section, in chapter 10, he sends out the 72 to go and do ministry. He says, I, 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 I've got this harvest out there of people who need me. And so I want you to pray for workers that'll go out in the harvest. He didn't say, I want you to pray for people who will just always sit around. He says, I pray, pray for workers. And then when he sends them out, he says, I, I, I want you to go and preach about me, and I want you to go and do good in my name. I want you to heal people. And they come back, and they're so stoked, and they tell Jesus, wow, even the demons, even the demons submit to us. And he says, I'm glad that you found joy in that, but there's a greater joy. It's your relationship with me. Your name's written in heaven, and nobody can erase it. And so we know Jesus isn't against work. Jesus' life is full of work, full of activity. So he's not saying we should all be Marys all the time, sitting passively before Jesus, not doing anything for Christ and his kingdom. It's really important. It's really important. So in the scriptures, we read verses like this, Colossians 3. Whatever you do, whether in word or deed, do it all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. Whatever you do, work at it with all your heart as working for the Lord, not for human masters. So what he's pointing out is, Martha, you were in the kitchen preparing a meal for me, but your preparations distracted you and you, you never were connected to me. And I want you, even in the busyness of life in the kitchen, to be connected with me. Martha would have learned a lot if she grew up in my home. Because my mother, at the kitchen sink, was always, I know for some of you, you're going to go, this is weird, and I thought it was weird. But she was always... And she's not, wasn't schizophrenic. She was always having a conversation out loud. And I remember saying to my mom, we called her Moody, which means mom in Swiss German. I'd say, Moody, who in the world are you talking to? And I remember her saying this all the time. I'm just talking to the Lord. I'm just talking to the Lord. So the Lord was in her kitchen, and when she's doing the dishes, he's connecting. That wasn't happening for Martha. And that so often isn't happening for me and for us. And it's crazy to think that I could be preaching right now and everything I'm saying and doing is actually disconnected. And you go, how? I'll tell you how. Because I want you to think much of me instead of Jesus. Ah, oh, that's disconnected. So I get angry and upset if somebody's distracting me or others. You see what I'm saying? This is really, really subtle stuff that drives right to the heart of our hearts. But we need to understand as we wrestle with this whole topic of putting first things first, simplify, that we see the balance that the scriptures give us and that we pray for wisdom to know how to both sit at Jesus' feet and then connect Jesus to the activities of our life and our world. Galatians 6, 9 says, let us not become weary in doing good. In this great gospel text in, in Ephesians 2, 10, it says right after we're saved by God's grace through faith in his son, it says we are God's workmanship. We are masterpieces created in Christ Jesus to do good 
works, which he's created in advance for us to do. And so this isn't a beatdown on people who are activists, people who are type A, firstborn driven people. Let's get a lot done. No, it's not a beatdown. It's just remembering two things. That whatever we're involved in, may it be radically connected to Christ. And that we understand for Jesus, it's better that we sit at his feet than we get a whole lot done for him today. It's actually preferred. So let's talk about those implications. And before we get into them, uh, let me just say what the rub is in all of this. We live in a world, so culture affirms accomplishments. That's like at the heart of the American dream. Isn't it great that you can come from anywhere and become anything? And we love the people that kind of pull themselves up by their own bootstraps and saw that happen in their life. And we standing up and we write books and we buy their books and then we're all over that. Well, guess what? It's not just what's cheered about in culture. Actually, that's what happens in the church culture, in our relationships. We stand up and applaud the people who are doing a lot, a lot, a lot for God. Nobody gets an award for this person has an amazing discipline of every day spending time with God. They, they are really good about setting aside a day a week and, and celebrating this, this gift of Sabbath and stopping from their work. This is a person who regularly gets away and exercises the disciplines of silence and solitude. We just, we scratch our head and go, how do you do that? Or we might say, that's weird. We certainly don't get up on our feet and go, good on you, man. It's kind of like, well, what have you done for the Lord lately? So this is a rub. So we hear what Jesus is saying and how he says, Mary has chosen the better way, but everything around us and everything inside of us drives us to frantic activity because actually at the end of the day, even if the people around us aren't applying, we feel better about ourselves, right? Oh, maybe it's just me. So like tomorrow's my day off. I've already, I, I got my little house to-do list. So tomorrow's going to be a really good day because I, I, I'm going to spend time with my bride and I'm going to get stuff done. Why do I like getting stuff done? Because it makes me feel good. When I don't get stuff done, I don't feel good. I feel like, oh, what's wrong with me? Why can't I get this stuff done? So this, this is really this is a really interesting thing that's going on here related to culture, related to church life, and the things we cheer about. And so there's some huge implications. Jesus says, I'd prefer that you sit at my feet and learn from me than go and serve me with all this activity. I don't think I really believe that. I mean, I get that he's saying that. He's not saying one's bad and one's one's uh, great. He's saying there's actually, it's better. What Mary's doing is better. And I think I believe, well, but at the end of the day, you really do want me to get a lot done for you, don't you, Lord? And so I really think, I really think that is kind of better. It's a huge implication that Jesus prefers that we come and sit at his feet and learn and understand that becomes the engine room of a life of faith. There's a huge implication, I think, from Mary, and we don't want to miss it. 
I mean, all we know about Mary, there's no, there's, there's no dialogue, there's, there's no quotations around Mary. All we know is she sat at Jesus' feet to learn. And what we also know is when, when Mary is confronted by Martha's, you know, anger at this point, she doesn't go, you're right, I am so sorry, sister, and I'm going to get my apron, and I'm going to go chop some onions. Because you're right, the Son of God is coming over for dinner. So what was I thinking? I think it's profound that the text doesn't say either Jesus told Mary, you know what to do, or Mary gave in to the major guilt trip of her sister and said, all right, I'll go. It takes great strength to say no so that we'd be attentive to the better way. It takes great strength. She's a woman who's very secure in who she is with Christ. And she's able to say no. That's hard because for most of us, we woke up this morning not with this thought. I hope I tick off a whole lot of people and they're really angry at me today. Because that would be like a great day. No, we're by nature people pleasers. We want people to like us. And the problem is, one of the reasons our lives aren't simple and they're complicated because we're not secure in Christ. We can't sit quietly with God and know that we're okay because of who he is, not because of what we're not doing. And so we're frantically trying to get the people, our kids, our friends, at work, my spouse, the people at church, to think that, that we're doing really good things. We want their approval. And I think it's really significant that we don't miss that Mary had the strength to just say, you know what? I'm not going to do that. I'm going to stay right where I'm at. And I think the implication for Martha, we've just been saying it over and over again, is it's really easy to be distracted from God in the midst of even serving God. And so if it actually could happen here in this place, then think about how easy it would be to happen at work this week with our spouse this week, doing family this week, with our friends, at school, with all the different things that fill our lives. If we could be distracted in Christ's presence, so like, she hears his voice. We're going, well, that wouldn't happen to me because like, how could I be distracted? I'm hearing Jesus teaching my sister and this is awesome. Of course I wouldn't be distracted if he was like right in my house. Martha said, no, actually, it happened in my house. I got so consumed with the meal that I forgot the main course, Jesus. So have we lost the better way? Have we taken our eyes off Christ? Well, I think the text gives us really, really a helpful paradigm. This is not like a mystery. So how do we know she lost the better way? Well, we could say, well, she was distracted. Well, how do we know she was distracted? How do I know I'm distracted? Well, there's two things it tells us. Her life is filling with worry, and it's growing in bitterness and resentment. And so I just got to ask myself, God, is, what, is joy marking my life as I do life 
as a pastor, as I do life as a husband, as I do life as a dad, as I do life as a son and a brother, as a neighbor, as a, what, is my life marked by joy or is it marked by, man, there's a lot of worry. I'm worried about so much. Just growing worry and anxiety and actually there's a, lot of ang- uh, there's a lot of upsetness in my life. I can get upset really easy. So what's marking my life? So I told you one of the things that God has just kind of been talking to me about as we've talked about let's go deeper in Christ, right? Rooted, deeper in Christ. And asking God the question, where do you want me to be more like your son? And his response to me, I didn't hear anything, I didn't see anything, is, Mark, I want you to grow in a joyful, expectant trust in me. I don't want you, and this is what I've said to you. I've said, I don't want you to become a grumpy old man. Now, here's the interesting thing. Do you see what I'm doing when I say grumpy old man? I'm making you think being a grumpy old man has just anything and everything to do with how old you are. And you are looking old up there, buddy. So you get, no, actually you can be a grumpy old 13-year-old. Because it's, it's not about your stage of life. It's about the state of our heart. So one of the things I, I do is ask myself this question. Mark, is your heart soft? That's the word I use. Is it tender? Is it soft towards God? Is it hard? Is it hard towards other people? Does grace and mercy or does judgment and, and you know, anger mark my interactions? Is my heart soft? And I think what happens is when we're disconnected from Christ, who is our life, whose grace fills our life and transforms our life, my heart then is filled with me. And when it's filled with me, it starts to calcify. It starts to get hard. And Martha's heart is getting hard. She's lost the better way because her life is now filled with worry and bitterness and resentment so how about us how about us when we're too busy to sit we've lost the the better way when my service to God and others is about me like I get really bummed that they don't know that was my idea at work I get really bummed that I I wasn't recognized that somebody didn't say good job, that, that I've lost the better way. When I believe that Jesus would rather have me do things for him than be with him and learn from him, I've lost the better way. And so, am I sitting at Jesus' feet daily during the week Sitting at Jesus' feet. We're doing that right now. We're coming around God's word. Jesus is teaching us. We do that in our life groups this week as we talk about it. Uh, When we have time, uh, just a way to just be quiet. We're going to talk about Sabbath keeping. This whole day of one day and seven being set apart. So I'm thinking about, so do I sit at Jesus' feet? What does that look like? 
And then am, am I someone who's connecting Jesus to all of my life? So one of the things that struck me, and I was reading through Larry Osborne's really helpful book, it's Spirituality for the Rest of Us. You can see it in your notes. As he says, you know, a lot of us, when we think about our priorities, we think about it like this hierarchical ladder. And so, like, for example, we know the right answer for our number one priority in life as a Christ follower is God, right? That's easy. And we go, I think I got the second one. The second one is my family right? If I'm married, my spouse, my kids, my parents, my siblings. We go family. The third one, now we got, okay, what is it? So I'm just going to help you out here. It's church. It's the only institution that you and I are part of that will last forever. Your job won't last forever. Corporate America won't last forever. So church, I think, is our third. You might have work as your third, but you get the point. So then we go, okay, maybe friends, Maybe some of the hobbies that we do. So here's the problem. Is it's easy to work the list of priorities like a checklist. So we go, okay, God's at the top. Okay, I know what that means. I'm going to connect with God today. I'm going to read my New Testament reading because I'm going through that with Rooted, growing deeper in Christ. So I check off. I read Acts whatever it was today. Actually, today we got the day off, right? All right, so I read my Bible. I, I said a couple of quick prayers, right? And then I check it off. Okay, what's number two priority? Ah, Lori and the kids, checking in. Then I check it off. You see what happens? So I check it off and I go to the next thing. Larry said, maybe how we should think about it is more like Jesus is at the center of our life like the hub of a wheel, so all of a sudden, it's like, oh, that's exactly right. So Jesus doesn't want to be at the top of our checklist of priorities. He wants to be at the center of our life so that every part of our life, right, centers and connects to Christ. So my connection to God, my connection to the church, my relationships with my family, my relationships at work, with my neighbors, with my friends, all of that is connected to Christ. And so that is a freeing thing. And that is a life-changing thing. And when that happens this week, by God's grace, as we commit our lives and our days each day, as we maybe actually open up the calendar and go, here's the stuff that I've got on my plate. These are the appointments. These are the things that I'm going to do. And God... I'm committing this to you. I want to honor you in this. And I want you to walk into my marriage. And I want you to walk into my relationship with the family. I want you to walk into my school, my classroom, my team, my work, my friendships. And when Jesus is the center of all those things, all of a sudden we start hearing him say, not everything is necessary. There's one thing that's necessary. And it's connecting my heart to Christ in all of life because God doesn't want to be just at the top of our priorities. He wants to be at the center of our life. So this past week, I had an opportunity to go to a friend's place on Lake Wisconsin, and I had been challenged by a, a friend, a pastor, Chris Dolson, who was just talking to a group of us pastors about having this wonderful day away with God, a half day of silence. And I remember the phrase he used. He said, and I felt like I'd been to Hawaii. I'm going, well, I want to go to Hawaii. It's been a while since I've had a day of silence and solitude and 
So right in the meeting as he's talking, I quick text my friend who's got this place. I said, hey, can I use your place on the river there on the lake there on Monday? So it was last Monday. I said, sure. So 8 o'clock in the morning, I've got a, a, a person who's coming to uh, sell a service to us and we get through that meeting. It's 8.30. I'm feeling good. I've got the plan. The morning, I'm just going to be quiet. Just going to be silent. I'm just going to sit at Jesus' feet, right? And then the afternoon, I'm going to get a jump start on this message. I'm going to get this message going. So I, I leave. I'm driving up. I don't have the radio on. It's quiet. This is really good. I'm, in, I'm just settling in, which isn't easy for me to just, because I'm pretty wound up tight. So, but I'm, I'm embracing this quietness, drive up, sunny day. I get into the place, put the screens up, 20-foot windows looking over this water and the sunlight's down. It's like, oh, this, thank you, Lord. This is awesome. I get on the couch. I open my Bible and I start reading and I go, man, am I tired. <laughs> I mean, I, was like, I didn't think I was tired. But I went, man, I am tired. And, you know, I don't know if this is going to be a day off or a work day. We'll, we'll sort it out in the end. Lori was substitute teaching, so I, I had my deal going. And I said, it's 930, but I, I feel like I just need to take a little nap. And, like, I've perfected the 10-minute power nap. Has anybody else done that? That is, like, the most awesome thing, the 10-minute power nap. So I'm thinking, well, I'll just have, like, a 10-minuter probably, right? I woke up three hours later. It's 12.30. I just shot through the silence that I was supposed to be present. It's like, I was very silent. <laughs> I was very quiet. And, and, and you know what was so cool? is like, I just said, so when I say this, it's not like I'm hearing something. But I just sensed, it, it's okay. It's okay. Yeah, you're really tired. You need to rest. So I got up. I, it was so nice outside. I, I read, I was reading through this book on Sabbath keeping, 24-6, great book. And, um, and I said, you know, I'm going to take a walk. I like to walk and talk. So I took a, a walk, and I'm praying, and it's a big walk, and I come back an hour later. And you know what I said? Man, I'm still tired. <laughs> so I took a nap. <laughs> and I napped for another 45 minutes. And you know what? I didn't get hit with lightning. Like, God was okay with that. And God was just helping me enter into, you don't have to do for me. You can rest in me. That was a good day. I didn't get anything done on the sermon. You know what I said about my days off? Like, I get a lot done. I didn't get anything done except for napping. <laughs> Had a lot of rest. But, but I was learning. I was learning. Some of us are driven by guilt. Some of us are driven by other people's expectations or what we think their expectation. And we need to hear it again. Jesus, come unto me, all you who are weary and worried and worn out and growing resentful. I'll, I'll give you rest for your souls. I can't wait for you to invite Jesus to submit every area of your life, to make him the hub every day and see how not being distracted from Jesus in your marriage 
That, that is the answer. That, that actually is the answer for your marriage. That is the answer for the wisdom that you need as a parent. That is the answer for that jerk face at your office is Jesus. And how, how, what, how, what do I do here, Jesus? That is the answer for the friends who are pulling you in different directions. I can't wait for your life to be centered and growing more centered on Christ. May we truly be a Christ-centered church for all people where the good news of God's love for us in Christ is continually transforming our lives so that we can renew our city and see the change around the world happen through Christ for his glory. Let's pray. Lord God, we confess we're a distracted lot and we're distracted by doing good things and we've confused the issue that doing good things for you is the same as sitting with you. And we want to do so much and we just stop and thank you so much that you've done it all for us. And then you could help us do all that we do in life in a way that is connected to you the one who is the way, the truth, and the life. You are the better way. And so we invite you in to the center of our lives. We ask that you'd forgive us for centering our lives on ourselves. And we pray that you'd free us and bring us into these places, Lord, where we are strengthened, that we would be still and know who you are, that you are God that you are exalted, will be exalted in the nations and throughout this universe. Quiet our hearts. Free us from the frantic pace that we're in and deliver us from all these things that are weighing us down. We pray these things in Christ's name for your glory. Amen.